it's it, nowhere in scripture does it talk about the condition of the seed, but it does talk about the condition of the soil. And so when words like this are going forth, you've got to make sure that the soil of your soul, which is the only, it's what you can do. You know, like I'm preaching the word, that's my job. But your job is to prepare the soil of your soul, amen? So what does that mean? Be, be a good garden where God can pluck out weeds and pull out things that shouldn't be there and receive that seed. So let's, let's just read through this and then I'm gonna pray. James chapter four, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You let, man, this is already heavy. You, um, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Then verse three says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you might spend it on your pleasures. Verse four, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there. We'll buy and sell and we'll make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, well, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance all such Boasting is evil. And then the last scripture we have is the 17th verse of the fourth chapter of James, and it says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you now that you would just, under your mighty hand, humble us today to receive your word. God, your word is the opposite of our carnal desire. Lord, what you tell us to do is the opposite of what we wanna do. And Father, I ask for obedience in this house, that there would be submission in this house. God, that we would just bend our need under your authority. God, because an, an army of humility is an unstoppable army. An army of submission is an unstoppable 
unstoppable army. And God, I pray that from the oldest to the youngest, God, that male, female, that all of us under your hand today, this would actually mark from Long Island all the way to Bakersfield, from coast to coast, from Northwest Indiana, all the way to the southernmost tip in South Miami, God, that this would represent North, South, East, and West. God, that you are uniting us today, but uniting us with humility, Lord, so that we would do and accomplish all that you accomplished us to do. If somebody across every campus believes it, can you just shout amen? Amen. Oh, I feel that already. You know, when we first moved to New York, each one of us, uh, God divinely opened up a door of opportunity for to us to get property. Like, I mean, when I say property, I don't mean own, I mean rent. <laughs> and because New York is so expensive. And Evan Wilson, he got missionary housing in Brooklyn. And then my mom and Dean, you know, they got a house in uh, Long Island on the East End. And then Chase and Haley Fleeman were in the Ritchie neighborhood up on the North Shore, you know. And then we were kind of like in the South. And what we realized one day is that God had originally set the core team members of V1 Church in the region of New York, north, south, east, and west. And we realized that we had the devil surrounded if we stayed united. If we stayed united, we had the devil surrounded. My message to you today is I don't think it's strange that we have a campus that's in Bakersfield. I don't think it's strange that it stretches to the east end of Long Island. I don't think it's strange that we're in the southernmost tip of, of, of Florida and then we're in northwest Indiana because God said you are faithful with a region. Now I'm giving you a country. And if we're faithful with a country, he'll give us another country. See, if you're faithful with little, he'll make you ruler over much. It's come on. This is not about multi-site campuses. This is about taking the nations as our inheritance and being faithful with what God gave us. And so I just wanted to start by that, but the Lord began to show me it will demand of us humility. I want to quote one of my favorite theologians. His name's Josh Hamstra. We were discussing this word last night, and Pastor Josh said, nowhere in Scripture does it say that God will make us humble. It always is a demand that we humble ourselves. And so as we go through this word, you've got to understand that you are all, and myself included, going to end up humble. It's just there's only two ways. One is you do it, and two is it gets forced on you. That's it. We're all going to end up humble. I mean, every Muslim, every atheist, every agnostic, every Hindu, I mean, everybody's going to end up bending their knee before Jesus. It's just you get to do it willfully right now or you get to do it forcefully later. And so this message to our church, I believe, is a pivotal message. This is a turning point in our church because I want to call our church to a time of intentional humility. And so let's look at this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Okay, let me break this down. Can we just go very deep today? So let me, I'm gonna exegete this scripture in context so you're gonna actually understand what was really being said. Because when you say a statement like, where do wars and fights come from among you, you probably are conjuring up imagery of tanks and weaponry, This is not literal language, this is figurative. So what James is saying to the churches of Asia Minor and to the church in Jerusalem is the way y'all are acting, the best comparison that I can give you is war. 
all got real quiet. If you've ever been a part of a church that didn't operate in humility, it felt like war because there were real casualties. You have friends that never went back to church and it should grieve you right now to even think about the fact that the carnality and the fleshly desires and the pride and the arrogance of leaders and people on the worship team and people on the tech team and people on the kids team, that that produced what James would say, the only thing I can compare it to is a war. And I've seen it destroy families. I've seen the divorce of a pastor become the divorce, the spirit of divorce in the congregation. It's a war. It destroys every. I mean, think about it. We, we just had the, you know, uh, Sadie and Florian come back from Ukraine, come back from Honduras. They've seen the effects of war. And war is incredibly destructive. And what James is saying is pride and your own selfish ambition has the same cost as a physical war. It's crazy. And it says, do they not come? Now, but here's the thing. He, he gives us a diagnosis. He says, do these wars not come from your desires for pleasure that war within your members? So what's he talking about? He's saying you desire for pleasure. You lust and do not have. So you, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. This is so crazy to say it out loud. That's why just when I thought that I was a, a real deal convicting preacher, I thought to myself, I am like, I am soft compared to James. Because <laughs> James literally calls people who do their own selfish ambition in a local church murderers. You know, I was thinking about Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, and you know, they asked her one time, did you ever think, you know, in the midst of all the ministry, Globally, your husband's preaching, you're home with the kids, you have to manage all the tension of, of you know, trying to sustain the weight of that kind of ministry. Do you ever think about divorcing Billy Graham? And she said, no, not divorce, murder, but not divorce. <laughs> you know, it's like, if, you're mar- if anybody who's ever been married knows what I'm talking about. Because you're like, you know, I'm not a murderer, we'll get married and you'll find out what you really are. I mean, we're going to be dealing with the spirit of murder this Friday in that marriage conference because, there, you know, my wife and, you know, all five foot one of her is like, I never thought about killing you, but I wouldn't be. I, she said at one point, I wouldn't be sad if you died. <laughs> that was a whole nother version of Mike. And so he says, you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Now, let me just tell you this. My desire across every location of this church is that kingdom building is high and interpersonal conflict is low. And the way that I train my leaders is interpersonal conflict and drama should be low and productivity and life and unity should be high. But oftentimes in most local churches, it's the complete opposite of that. Interpersonal conflict, drama, backbiting, strife, divisions is high, and and conquering territory and subduing the land is low. And I want the opposite. Think about your marriages. I mean, in, in our marriage, Julie and I, the conflict was high and the romance was low. And we went through a process and we flipped it, praise God. Praise God. I won't say any more than that or I'll embarrass her. But needless to say, 
Marriage works if you do it God's way. Church works if you do it God's way. The, the analogy that we have in scripture is that the body of Christ's relationship to Christ is akin to a husband's relationship to a wife. And so the only solution that I really have to offer you today in the midst of all this teaching is that if you don't know how to do marriage, you don't know how to do church. And, and then on the converse, the better you get at marriage, the better you get at church. Because what marriage is, is two servants trying to outserve each other. And that's how you get your needs met. You, matter of fact, for the single people, you don't get married for them to meet your needs. You get married for you to meet their needs. And if you both do that, both your needs are met. But the fastest route to an argument is getting married so that they meet your needs. So why do I say that? You don't go to church so that the church meets your needs. You covenant to a church so that you can meet the needs of those around you. But as all of us come for that reason, guess what happens? Eventually your needs get met. If you're coming to V1 Church to get your needs met, I already know you won't be coming here long. Because we are not a selfish church. And we're not codependent. Nobody talked to me. Okay, let's flip that. You didn't talk to anybody. I don't have any friends. No, let's flip that. You're not a friend to anybody. You never call me. No, let's flip that. You never called me. <laughs> Do you see? You, who, see, here's the thing. Toxic people are victims all the time. And I've been pastoring for a long time. And I'm friends with the pastors of the other churches in the regions where we have churches. And, they, and guess what? People change churches, but the problems don't change. Why? Because they were the problem. Nurses have an acronym for pain, P-A-I-N, pay attention inside now. If I kicked you in your stomach right now, do I have any volunteers to come on stage for this? If I kicked you in your stomach, come on, any wives want to volunteer their husband for this? <laughs> they all started patting their husband on the back, go, go. If I kicked you in your stomach as hard as I could, you would become the most selfish person in the room because pain demands that you only pay attention inside. So usually selfish people are people in a lot of pain. And so we start off as a hospital, but then we must turn into a family. But then if you don't go from a family to a family that's an army, you end up becoming a small little circle that never does anything significant for God. And so this church is not just a family, it's a family that is an army. And so if you're an army and not a family, you're a mercenary. But if you're a family that's not an army, you're worthless. Okay, that might have been a little too deep for you. And I think what happens at V1 Church is, and I know we're only a couple verses in, is it says your lust and your desire to covet is why wars are started. I mean, like, do you want to be a prophet or do you want to make other people prophets? Do you want to be a teacher or do you want to take notes on someone else's teaching? Do, do, it's like what we try to do is flip. I want to tell you a quick story before we move on. I remember, um, you know, early on in the history of this church, I was really working with um, who is now one of our most incredible campus pastors, Edwin Perez. And this was early days V1, and I was still living in this small apartment. And I'll never forget that my, on social media, Julie had 
kind of pushed me in that direction to minister to people online. I reluctantly did it. I never wanted to be famous. I never wanted, matter of fact, for those of you who don't know the history of this church, I launched three locations in the first three years and my goal was to raise up as many preachers as I could. And they were preaching every week. And matter of fact, after months of that, most of them came back to me and said, we're exhausted. There's not a grace on our life to preach every Sunday. If you know the burden of preaching, you know it's diarrhea city. And I thought that I was helping them out you know, like, hey, this is, but, the, but there was a grace on me as the father of our house to preach more consistently. And over time, we dialed it in. And who, we, how much does each person preach? And how, what's that percentage that's right for our house? So I did not have a desire to be a one-man show. My desire, I felt like I got more gratitude from being the dad on the side of the field watching my kid play peewee and score a touchdown or or hit a home run than I did from me being in the big leads. Does that make sense? And so in the midst of that, Julie now says, Mike, I feel like you need to go online. I feel like you need to minister to people there. And I stepped in there and, and then there was a grace on it. I believe one of the reasons why, and I'm just, is it okay if I get a little vulnerable with you guys right now? You got the reason why I believe there's so much grace on me holding my phone is because it's proof to the world that it's not the production that makes me go viral. It's the anointing because all of my videos that have gone viral, I mean, most of them have been me just walking around with the phone, the same thing that everybody else has, but the difference isn't the production. It's the anointing. It's the favor of God. And there's been many people who've tried to replicate that favor, but didn't replicate the humility They didn't replicate going low so that God raises you up. And so I say all that because I started to, this was in the early days of all that, and I started to dream about making my own little studio so that I didn't have to walk around the streets of New York City, which was exhausting. And I had a whole cart full of stuff that I was gonna buy with a little bit of money that I had for this studio. And then there was a man that I was discipling very intensely at that time named Edwin Perez. And he sent me a message and he said, hey, Pastor Mike, I know that you're really into cameras and stuff. Can you look at the list of things that I wanna buy so that I can make videos and put stuff on the internet and all that? And my immediate response was, "Mm." (laughs) because I'm thinking, I don't know if I even trust Eddie at this point. He's not a significant leader in our church. He's just raising up. What's he gonna say? If I'm gonna give him influence on our house, is he gonna use it against us? All that fear-based thinking. Fear, fear, fear. And I said, this is not the heart of God because leaders in this house make faith-based decisions, not fear-based decisions. So all of a sudden I said, well, fear tells me don't help them because I don't even know if I trust them yet. This is years and years ago. So I'm gonna do the opposite. And all of a sudden I looked at the money that I had and I said, I'm gonna buy, because I have his Amazon cart that he wants me to review. I'm gonna buy all this stuff for him. So I send Eddie a message back and I got tears in my eyes and he, he can't see it. I'm texting him. I said, hey, Eddie, all that stuff is the right choice. I just bought it all for you. It's on its way. And I said, I just have to believe that this guy is going to, to, to be in alignment with the vision of this house. I'm, because what happens is oftentimes if you treat people like a rebel, they become a rebel. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you treat them like a son, they become a son. And see, I was, this was me learning something. And then I had this pit in my stomach because I'm like, I just bought all this stuff for Pastor Eddie, or he wasn't even a pastor yet, for Eddie. Now I can't buy this stuff for my own studio 
because I just spent all my money. And he might just use all this stuff to preach a whole bunch of stuff that's not even in alignment with the vision I have for this house and use all the influence I gave him. And I'm sitting there like, oh gosh, I hope I made the right decision. Right as I'm thinking that, I get it, the doorbell rings. I come downstairs. I, it's the, it's the, the mail, and they have some packages. In the midst of the packages is an envelope. I walk upstairs, I open this envelope, and you can't make this up. It was a check for the exact amount that I had just spent to purchase all that equipment for Eddie. And it was somebody had mailed it to my house. And I'm saying, when I say it was an exact amount, it was to the dollar. And then I just begin to weep. And I said, wow, Lord, you gave it back. And here's the even crazier part of this story. While I was wrestling with the decision of whether or not I empower him and buy the stuff for him, I didn't even realize the mailman was already walking down the street with the check in it. And so here's the thing. The fastest route to canceling your destiny is being obsessed with your destiny. The fastest route to cutting off the flow is to make a fear-based decision and to make somebody an enemy that's not your enemy. The fastest route to extinguishing the plan of God is to go to war with somebody that you should be going to war with. Come on, somebody. And all of a sudden, the promise was already on its way and there was a huge confirmation. And then guess what? Eddie, uh, soon after that, became the dean of V1 College and from that same equipment, began to film all the videos that would be used to raise up the nations through V1 College and me and him joined together the sons of thunder and said okay devil one will put to flight a thousand but two ten thousand and now Eddie and I are better together and we're not fighting each other we're fighting the devil with each other can somebody shout under God We will not make fear-based decisions in this house. We will not fight each other. We will fund each other. We will not fight each other. We will be friends with each other. This house is a house of unity. Lord, either I believe that God has given me anointing or favor or I don't. Either I believe God's going to lift me up or I don't. But I, if I work to lift myself up, that becomes the fastest route to being laid low. Let me pick up the pace because we're about to do communion here in a second. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. I want to just help you guys. Please, as a church across every location, Get comfortable asking. Get comfortable asking. I want to quote another one of my favorite theologians. Her name's Julie Signorelli. And Julie and I were talking about this, and she said, you know, when you go to the hospital, let's say you go to the ER, the emergency room, what you will do is you'll go to check in and you tell them what's wrong. So many times in the local church, you tell the wrong people what's wrong. And it creates division. 
When you go, you don't like, think about this. I'm gonna blow somebody's mind because it's gonna help you. This is the book of James chapter four. Imagine going to the emergency room with a gunshot wound and you're bleeding out all over. And then you come into the emergency room and now there's all the other sick people who are seated. And then there's the place where you check in that gets you to the nurses and the doctors. And imagine you go run up to the people and you're like, hey, I have a gunshot wound. Help me, help me. And they're like, yo, you're in the emergency room. Go check yourself in. I'm wounded too. That becomes the equivalency of you taking your problems to the wrong people. In the local church, oftentimes the help is there. The people who are qualified in the connect groups to come alongside of you, the, the pastors, and we're raising up more pastors in the next couple of months, so get ready for that. We're gonna, we're gonna see that. But the pastors that you could go to, the people that you could reach out to, and could you imagine dying in the emergency room, waiting room, because you never went to the right person with your problem? But you're like, but it feels so good emotionally to tell people about my gunshot wound. <laughs> but you're going to die. And so, so often we sacrifice our next level because we go to the wrong person with our problem. Go to the person who's designated with authority by God to do something about your problem. And that's what I learned. Oftentimes, we, we end up giving up our next level for a, a fleeting moment of comfort, a fleeting moment of, man, it felt good to get it off my chest. I just needed somebody to listen. But what we become for each other is codependent. And oftentimes, people don't love you enough to redirect you. And this is, can I just say that again? Sometimes people don't love you enough to redirect you. Hey, I know you brought this to me, did you bring it to a pastor? Hey, I know you brought this to me. Did you bring it to a connect group leader? Hey, like they don't love you enough to redirect you. First Timothy, Titus, there's books of the Bible that talk about the spiritual authority that's over a church to govern it. And things are healthy when you go to the people who can do what God has designated them to do. Matter of fact, it even becomes specialized at the top. Because we might say, hey, the person that can help you the most is the person who is the special specialist in that thing. And we benefit from that. But there's a lot of people who've died in the waiting room of the ER because they got more relief emotionally telling people sitting in the seats what's wrong with them than ever checking in with the doctor. And I feel a deep conviction in my heart to eradicate all this carnality, all these fleshly things, all these lustful things, because lust is, we always think lust is sexual. Lust is not sexual, it can be sexual. But what James is saying, he literally calls them in verse four, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He's calling them adulterers, but he's not using it in a sexual term. He's using it in the, in the relationship of breaking covenant. What he's saying is the reason why, I'm coming to a close soon, the reason why you want this thing is because you're in friendship with the world and you wouldn't even want this thing. You would actually be contented with this thing if you didn't see what the world showed you. How many marriages have ended because somebody got on their phone and that phone became a window into the world and because they were able to see another woman, they didn't want the one that they had. 
See, there's, it's like, there's something about being friends with the world, and, and James is literally calling them adulterers. I mean, he's throwing out this language, and it's like the, the New Yorkers would say he's being bombastic, because it's like he's saying, you're, you're murderers because you start wars in the local churches. You're adulterers because you're friends with the world. And you know why he said that? Oh, I just got to go there. I don't care. Let's, take, let's do a three-hour service right now. Because I got to get this into you. And probably the people who need to hear this right now, they're not listening anyways, because that's how this goes. But let me just tell you, and I, I want everybody to understand what I'm saying. The reason why James would show up and write a letter and use words like murderer and adulterer is because the people he's talking to don't think that what they're doing is that bad. See, in all my years of pastoring, they, people don't think that the conversations they're having are that sinful. But that's also why they never fulfilled what God had on their life. It's because they didn't ask God how did he feel about that conversation. And so what happens is we, what we do when we're friends with the world is we compare our behavior against the world and it makes us feel better. Because we're like, well, I'm way better than them. And the Lord is saying, yes, but just because you're better than the world doesn't mean that you're flowing in the standard that I have for the kingdom. And so we don't compare ourselves against them. We compare ourselves against the standard of the kingdom. And by the way, it's impossible for us to fulfill it. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need leadership and fellowship that calls us out and begins to show us a mirror to our face. And yo, this is what you got stuck in your spiritual teeth, homie. And then we thank them for being a mirror instead of being mad at them for showing us what we really are. And so the reason why he had to come out so bombastic, you're a murderer, you're a killer, you started a war, you're an adulterer, is because they didn't understand the severity of what they were doing. And if I were to tell you, if you're like, Pastor Mike, how did you go from an 18-person church on Long Island to now you're going to a 10,000 person stadium campus. Well, I will tell you this. If you're faithful with little, he'll make you rule over much. What, what do you do in little conversations determines whether he will amplify your voice in stadiums? Because see, all leadership is, is a megaphone. And if that megaphone gets put on you in your kitchen while you're talking to your wife, is it a marriage conference? <laughs> Oh, he's got real quiet up in here. If we put a megaphone to the conversations you're having, if you viewed the whole world like a stage, little Shakespearean reference for you. If you viewed the whole world like a stage, if every conversation you had was recorded, are people getting free as they're listening to it? Are they getting knowledge and wisdom? Are they getting delivered? Or are they coming up under the curses of your words? I remember years ago making a decision that I was going to begin to act as if all of my conversations were recorded. Now that doesn't mean I haven't yelled in years. I still have feelings like a normal human being. It uh, doesn't mean that my wife and I haven't had arguments. Matter of fact, everybody knows a healthy marriage is not the absence of arguments because usually when there is no argument, it means nobody cares. It's the presence of resolved conflict. But where there is no conflict, there is no opportunity for intimacy. So, it's, so if you were to listen to my discussions with my wife, you wouldn't be hearing discussions without arguments. 
you would be hearing arguments with resolution. Does this make sense? And it would become healing to you. And so the only way I can explain what James is trying to say, and I wanna read this to you, and I just, if the band wants to come up at every location, come on up. I think what James is trying to say is if you will stop being friends with the world, stop wanting what they made you want. Like, did you write the worship song because the world told you that you should chart it? Or did you write it in the secret place for an audience of one? See, the world even has a way of coming into the church. You know, did we launch all these campuses because God told us to do it? Or did, did the world tell me that I would be more significant and important the more campuses I had? Did you want to get married because you genuinely want to grow in your ability to serve somebody? Or did the world show you a picture of a relationship and you felt like you were incomplete because there was only one of you? Do you all hear me? So sometimes you got to break up with the world so that you can come into covenant with God. When I had 18 people in the church, we did our first Sunday and 50 people came up and I should have been celebrating because that's almost two times the amount that normally were there. But in my mind, a thousand people were going to come out. And, I, and I'm driving home super depressed. And Julie put her hand on my shoulder. And she's like, Mike, it's okay. I'm like, Julie, I gave our entire life to get to this stage. And only 50 people came out. I felt like I wanted to vomit. But then as the days went on, what the Lord showed me was Mike. And this was me 10 years younger. He said, Mike, the vision that you have for V1 in the beginning stages, you got that from the world. You didn't get that from me. Because the vision I have for you is to be faithful to these 18 people until everything that binds them is loosed, until every demon is out of them, until every stronghold is down out of their mind. And that's the vision I have. See, the world told you that you, all, you need a thousand people and you need all these campuses, but I told you be faithful to the 18 I gave you. And I did, I made up my mind, I'm gonna be the best pastor of an 18 person church that ever existed. Existed. And guess what? People who identified as homosexuals begin to get freedom. And then all of a sudden they got into relationships and they got married. People who are addicted to drugs begin to get sober and walk that out. People who are married begin to unify in their marriage. And all of a sudden I begin to see the hand of God. And guess what? I forgot about wanting our church to grow because I started to grow. And guess what? Here's what I learned is that big people make big things. And so as God was working on me, he was increasing everything around me, but there was not an idolatry surrounding it because I didn't find my significance in the numbers. I found my significance in my obedience. So God is calling us to obedience, obedience to the coffee, obedience to the lobby obedience to set up and tear down obedience to open up our homes for dinner parties and connect groups because it's when we're faithful with those things and we humble ourselves the lord begins to lift us up but the truth is when he lifts you up you don't even care because you don't find your gratitude in those things i want to read this to you james chapter 4 verse 7 would you all just stand to your feet we're gonna distribute communion across every location right now. 
And so just we'll get the communion cups out and I'll show you why we're going to do communion. I, I've, many of you probably feel like, yes, we need to do it right now. Thank you. So take the communion. I'm going to give a second for everybody to get this distributed to you. There's such a grace on this message today. Such a grace. So as you prepare the elements for communion, understand that you are not worthy to receive this. What makes you worthy to receive the blood and body of Christ was the fact that it was broken for you, that it was spilled for you. See, Jesus had to go through a process of total humiliation. I mean, they even said, oh, look, here he is, the King of Kings. They begin to mock him. They begin to ridicule him. See, it was like he was this renowned prophet. He was a miracle worker. And on the day of his crucifixion, it was so confusing. Wait a second, I thought this was that man from Galilee that walks on the water. Why, I mean, I mean, people even challenged like, can he even die? Can he even go through this process? Like, and why, they even told him, hey, why don't you just ask the angels to come and rescue you from this experience? But Jesus knew there's a principle in the kingdom. You must experience death. Now, I'm not talking even physical for most of you right now. I'm talking about the death of your ego. I'm talking about the death of your need for significance. I'm talking about the death of your worldly desires. I'm talking about the death of what you think is gonna be your legacy. Sometimes God will lead us to this spot. And I think it's so apropos that I'm in Indiana doing this because I remember when God called me on that death walk. And I can tell you stories because to be a believer is to die a thousand deaths. And I could show you, I died over there, and then I died over there, and then I died over there. Driving through Northwest Indiana, I get flashbacks. I died over there. I had to make a choice every single time. And see, what's the source of so much divisions and quarreling in churches is really what God is saying. What would it look like if you chose death instead of division? Death instead of division. And that's what I'm calling our church to because as the movie goes into Asian nations, soon it's gonna come out through digital distribution, which means Amazon, Apple, people are gonna watch it. People's kids are gonna binge watch the Domino Revival every day. God is gonna continue to increase the influence of this house. See, what's happening right now in transacting in the spirit is as God, as God takes you higher, you must choose to go lower. See, Jesus was destined to be at the right hand of the Father, but the only way you ascend is by descending, amen? And so God would have some of you, even there's sometimes this false humility where you're like, well, this sermon didn't apply to me because I'm nothing and I always mess up. And I, that's actually false humility. That's a form of pride too. So all of us together, and this is, again, unlike any other sermon I preach, James is really forcing me to lead you guys in a way that's unfamiliar to me. But I know that God releases a greater degree of his glory upon those who deflect it instead of absorbing it. So we're gonna take communion and this is the scripture. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I feel like in the previous season of our church, we learned how to deliver demons. 
cast them out. But in this, we need to learn how to submit so that the demons flee. We're going to another realm of authority. We know how to cast demons out, but we do we know how to resist demons? Demons that want you to backbite and complain and murmur and talk about people and, you know, demons that want to draw you out. Demons that want to convince you, you know more about leadership. You know more about how to run it. You know better than your spouse. You know better than your leader. You know better. There's something about an enticing, a soliciting. And I said this last week, but once the devil realized that this church knows how to kill giants, he sent in the little foxes to the vine and so we're gonna submit to God today we're gonna resist the devil somebody say resist then it says draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded lament and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up I feel comfortable doing this because I'm known as the dancing pastor. Viral videos of me dancing. How many memories do you have of me laughing from stage and us having a good old time? But I read that scripture in James and he said, turn, your, turn it into mourning. Turn it into lamenting. So right now I just feel, I've already well established this is a house of joy. But sometimes the only way peace comes is through lament through mourning. And so we're going to search our hearts and I pray that this word is an apostolic word at every location. And we're just going to take a moment to search our hearts to say, God, do whatever you need to do in me. It was when I funded someone else's studio that the check was already on the way for my studio. But then I got a double portion because I got the equipment and I got a blessing from heaven and the favor of God released in my life. See, it was a double portion. See, in every test that I faced of significance and humility, the Lord had to do something on the inside of me and say, okay, Mike, it's time to die again. And so I wanna ask our church, are we willing to share in the sufferings of Christ? Are we willing to say, I'm dying to my will, I'm dying to my way, I'm dying to my ambition. And if we will say yes as a church, we will rise up in full strength in America and we will be unstoppable because I got good news for you, baby. If you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then he will lift you up and who God promotes, nobody can de demote. When God opens a door, no man can shut it. When God opens up a path, nobody can revoke it. And this is the fastest route to favor in our house. I feel the favor of God coming upon your life because you're going the Via Della Rosa. You're going the death walk now. You're saying, God, if there's anything left in me, kill it now. And God says, I'm gonna give you the golden megaphone. I'm gonna cause your mouth to begin to speak my word to the nations. I'm gonna release you in business. I'm gonna pour finances out upon you. For those that have been faithful, God says, I am faithful to the faithful. But it starts in this place. Whew, I feel the anointing. I am faithful to the faithful. So here, let's take 20 seconds. Father, forgive us. Wash us. Forgive us, God, of all pride. Forgive us for being adulterers, murderers, for starting little wars, 
Forgive us, God, for pulling on our side of the rope instead of all coming around the other side and pulling together. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. Forgive all of us as a church for building our own little castles. Lord, let a wave of your presence just hit every location and every little sand castle be washed away. Every little thing that we built in sand. I just see a vision over our house right now of this big wave of the glory. This morning, I kept having that song in my spirit, here comes the glory of the Lord. And the Lord began to show me there's gonna be a big wave that comes upon V1 and it's gonna wash away all of our sand castles, all of the little things that we built that God was not in it. And God says, I'm preparing the foundation to begin to birth the things that I will birth through you and build the things that I've called you to build. You're almost ready. You're coming to the end of your test, says the Lord. You're about to pass. I hear in the spirit that this is the season of final exams. Final exams. My, my, my wife, she said that this is the year of graduation. I feel that in this first quarter, January, February, March, the Lord says this is the time of final exams and you will pass your test this time, says the Lord, and my glory will wash away everything that I did not destined and upon that you will build on a sure foundation and the thing that you build next will be the thing that lasts the thing that you build ne next will be the thing that remains says the Lord wow man I feel I can literally feel in this spirit like I'm reaching through the screen right now I'm speaking into all these regions. The Lord's uniting. Feel the anointing, y'all. We're gonna just have to tarry into this next service here in a second because the Lord's doing something. The anointing is in this house. So why don't you to take this wafer. See, what this represents is a choice. Do you understand? Jesus didn't have to do it. He chose. You don't have to humble yourself. You choose it. So if you choose across every V1 campus to say, I want to choose this, I want to do it, will you just take this with me now? Take his body. His blood represents a choice. He chose to spill his blood. If you choose that, would you just take his blood now? Come on, we're getting ready to spend a few moments in worship just to allow the Lord to speak to us. But let me pray over each and every one of you that God would seal this in your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every ear that heard this, for each and every life that was deeply affected by what was spoken today, God. And God, we have a great hope that you are in control. And the one that called us will complete us. I heard that in the spirit, the, the one who called us will complete us. And when we're fully dead, when we're fully out of the way, you're gonna bring resurrection power. And you always resurrect in the same place we were crucified. You always bring us back to life in the same place we were crucified. And I thank you, God, that right at the very place of death there's going to be a rose garden that begins to just it just bloom in every season out of that place of death come on v1 church let's just begin to worship across every location right now come on pour out your heart to the lord right now come on.